Romans chapter number 14. Um, it's always a blessing to, to be up here and to minister to you as well. Um, you might remember the last time uh, I, was, I was up here on a Wednesday night, we were able to share with you the series that we were going through with our student ministry, and tonight we're going to do uh, that as well. Uh, Romans 13, or excuse me, Romans 14, uh, as we are talking about Christian living. Uh, now, uh, I hope uh, that you have at least read through the book of Romans. Uh, as a believer, I would encourage you to, to study through the book of Romans. Uh, it is a wonderful portion of Scripture that helps us understand uh, deep things in a practical way. Uh, if you've studied much of, of Paul's writings, then it uh, becomes very apparent that he is really good uh, with the, the artistic nature that uh, the Holy Spirit has allowed him to use in presenting uh, really some, some deep theology in practical ways that we can understand very well. Uh, and Romans is no different. You know, Paul spends uh, the first 11 chapters of, of Romans, and uh, in case you didn't know, Chapters and verses have not always been in Scripture. Paul did not put those in there when he wrote the epistles. Uh, that was something that were, was put in long after to help us navigate through Scripture, and, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, but I shared with our teens last week, uh, and I'll share with you tonight, uh, that I, I'm not opposed to chapters and verses. Again, uh, they're a blessing. They help us navigate Scripture and find uh, where we want to be and find a particular portion of Scripture. Uh, but there's a little bit of a downfall with chapters and verses. Uh, and the downfall of that is it becomes easy to take Scripture out of context in that way, right? Uh, you know, I use this analogy with our students. Can you imagine writing a letter to somebody? And uh, our students can't imagine writing letters to people because they don't write letters anymore. They send text, uh, right? So, but can you imagine writing a letter to somebody and uh, you send it to them, right? You've, you've made it genuine. You've poured your heart out in this letter and you've said many things that you want them to know and understand. Uh, and then later on, you find out that they received this letter and they, uh, let's say you wrote a five-page letter. Again, you poured your heart out, right? And then later on you find out that they received this letter and they turned to page three, paragraph two, uh, read that portion and, and just tried to eat it up and get everything that it was worth, right? And they come to you and you're like, well, you know, what'd you think? Or, you know, you know, you know just let's, let's talk about what I sent to you. And they're like, oh, it was really good. I just, I got so much out of it. Well, tell me what you got out of it. And they, they kind of go over that portion. Or you're like, what, what about everything else? Well, I just read that one part. Well, that wouldn't make any sense, would it? Wouldn't make any sense. But we treat the Word of God the same way, right? Uh, and again, somebody did that to your letter. Number one, you'd probably be kind of offended and upset, not saying that God's offended us at us when we turn to chapters and verses. But we're missing points, right? We're missing key opportunities to understand what God has clearly communicated to us. And Romans, again, no different. Paul, again, spends the first 11 chapters of Romans really giving us a deep dive into the work and the ministry of Jesus. He helps us understand uh, all about Jesus. He opens up the book in a very real way, helping us understand what our state is without Jesus and really how desperate we are for a Savior and how much in need we are for a Savior. And then he gets into the perfect life of Christ 
course, he covers the death of Christ, the, the burial, the resurrection, and even the ascension, and what all of these things mean for us as people. And Paul, again, does a deep dive of you without Jesus, of everything that Jesus did, and then you after Jesus. And really, that's what we come to in Romans chapter 12 because he makes a a very distinct shift. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, right? And I think I've said this every time I've, I've... been on this, on this stage or even in the stage with our students, when you see, therefore, in your Bibles, you ought to want to know what it's there for, right? You need to know it. And, and really, Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, therefore, he's, he's saying, now that you understand all of this that I just explained to you, again, 11 chapters, this is a long letter, right? And he says, now that you understand all of this, now... Here is how the believer ought to live their life. Many theologians call Romans chapter 12 Christianity 101 or living life for Christ or Christian living. And that's what Paul spends the rest of the letter of, to, to the Romans doing is covering what we ought to do now. How should we respond after we understand how good Jesus has been to us, after we come to faith in Christ by His work on the cross and and, and our faith, His grace, and grace alone. Now, how should we respond to our new life in Christ? And in Romans chapter 12, he covers a multitude of things. In verse... One, he challenges the believer to be the living sacrifice. Right? To lay yourself on the altar saying, God, not only can, do, do I not want to do it without you, I can't. I cannot walk faithfully with you without submission to you, without submission to your word, without laying myself on the altar of sacrifice. There's no more death, praise the Lord, right? We're not, we're not having to shed any more innocent blood. The blood has been paid by Christ Jesus Himself, but now we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And then he talks about how we, as believers, should not be conformed by the age, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind that's allowing the Word of God to shift and change the way that we think. And again, he talks about a multitude of things as you go through the letter to the Romans, and real quick, I want to mention this because I believe it's integral when we see what Paul challenges us to do in Romans chapter 1, when he talks about that living sacrifice, I believe wholeheartedly that he presents that first to give us an understanding that if we don't get that right, if we don't get the attitude, the spiritual posture of, of having the mindset of every day, okay, God, I need you. I'm presenting myself to you. I'm going to do what you desire in my life. If we don't get that right, then we won't get anything else that he says later right. Church, we we need to lay ourselves on the altar as the living sacrifice. So tonight, as we continue this series and jump into chapter 14, um, we're going to be starting in the first verse and... 
in case you don't know where we're going, and or in case you've never studied this or, or you're just unfamiliar with it, um, this is a passage that makes some believers really excited, and it makes some believers kind of quench a bit. All right, now why is that? Because it talks about uh, different issues among believers and how do we handle it when we don't see things eye to eye when it is uh, a matter that is not a desperate theological issue. And how do we handle that and how should we respond to it? Let's pray and we'll dig right into the text tonight. Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful for you. And God, tonight we pray that you would work in our hearts. God, we believe your word. We believe that your word is truth, that it's the absolute standard of truth. And Father, tonight I pray that every believer that's here tonight would submit themselves under your word. Father, we recognize that it has the authority over our lives And Father, we pray that you would change us by the power of your word, that we would be obedient to it, walking away from here closer to Christ than when we came. May our attitude be that you are the potter and that we are the clay. May you make us and mold us into the individual that you would have us to be. And also we say in the name of Christ, amen. All right, Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to look for the first point. We're going to look at just verse 1. First point is, do not argue about disputed matters. Verse 1, he says, Welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. You see, people will argue about just about anything. I don't know if you've noticed that. But if you get a few people together that are really passionate about a particular issue, they can go on and on and on for a long time. You're inevitable. It's inevitable that you're going to have uh, find a conversation uh, that is really over preferential differences, right? And I'm not saying it's not okay for us to communicate about these or talk about these things, but really whether it's sports or movies, cars, music, art, decor, fashion, a multitude of things, everybody has an opinion. And the way to reality that some people need to realize sometimes is that it's just that. It's an opinion. Doesn't mean that one person's right and one person's wrong. There are opinionated issues. And, and really, there's nothing wrong with forming opinions. We should, right? We should form an opinion uh, about things. And of course, we're going to have our, our preferences and things. But when it comes to things that are not clear-cut, especially in Scripture, when there are not objective truths in Scripture, sometimes we've got to recognize that we formed an opinion. Now, can you imagine how crazy I would sound? A lot of you know I drive a Toyota Camry. I drive a Toyota Camry not because I think it's a cool car, not because I think it's going to go really fast. I'm too scared to get a ticket anyways. I drive a Toyota Camry because it's fuel efficient and because I've never had a Toyota fail me. Just being honest. But can you imagine how crazy... I would sound if I was talking to a group of people and, and, and I said, you know what, Toyota Camry is the only car to drive. It's the only car worth driving. 
You ought to be driving a Toyota Camry. If you're not driving a Toyota Camry, you're wrong. What? Well, Randy, you have a Toyota Camry, don't you? Oh, what is it? Avalon. Avalon, that's right. That's right. See, that shows you how much I know about cars, right? Well, I was going to say you had the right car, but you don't. You have the wrong one. <laughs> Can you imagine how crazy that would be, right? If I said, I, I, I've got the only right perspective on this, even though there's so many other preferences and so many other opinions and so many other things we could explore in that, I've got the right view because it's mine, not yours. That would be ridiculous, of course. You see, the problem is that many Christians have this kind of approach on their preferences and their choices when it comes to their walk with Christ. They want to try to speak for God on matters where He has not spoken Himself. And I'll be honest, I've been guilty of this in my life. As a pastor... Um, that I, I've heard say this, and, and it really, um, when I first heard it, it kind of, I didn't know how to think about it. But this is what he said. He said that the Bible says things that I wish it didn't say. And he says that it doesn't say things that I wish it did. Now, why is that? And, and I think, really, if we're honest, sometimes that's true of ourselves, Right? Sometimes the, the Bible says things that are hard for us to chew. Certainly. I mean, we battle the flesh for sure. And at times, there are things that we wish the Bible said that it just doesn't. So, as Christians, we're called to be in unity together, right? We're called to be unified, one body in Christ Jesus. And we can't achieve that if we're arguing about things that are a matter of what's called Christian liberty. You know, there are things in Scripture that are laid out very clear, that are without question, hills that we must die on, things that are not debatable, things, things that are not arguable, things that are not disputed matters. Core doctrines of the faith, what God says is sin and what He says is not sin, right? These things, the, the truths of Scripture, the things that God has made out very plain, those are the things that we stand on, those are the things we don't waver from, those are, those are not agree-to-disagree things, right? But there are things in Scripture... There are things uh, with our, our view uh, of Scripture that are non-essentials. The truth that we're talking about, again, the core doctrine of the faith, what, what God has clearly spoken on, it's not what Paul's talking about here. When he says disputed matters, he's speaking of things that are not as cut and dry as sometimes we wish they might be. Things that each believer must, must grapple with in their own heart and in their own mind. St. Augustine put it this way. He said, in essentials, we must have unity. In non-essentials, we have liberty. But in all things, we must have charity. See, Psalms chapter 133, verse 1 says, How delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. You see, God is pleased when we're in one accord. He's honored when we are a unified body of believers. See, division in the church is something that the New Testament deals with on many different occasions. 
Paul writes to the Ephesians and to the Colossians, and he reminds them both of the importance of unity within the body of Christ. The church of Philippi was at odds because two women disagreed on an issue. He writes to the Corinthians, and some of the members there were suing each other. Galatians chapter 5 says that the Galatians were biting and devouring at one another. So we have to ask the question, is this the appropriate way for believers to act? And certainly, Paul's not commending them for this attitude. He is rebuking them for this kind of behavior. So what is it? Uh, let's, let's talk about that for just a moment. What are some of these things that, that were causing tension that Paul's addressing? What are some of these things that he's saying are disputed matters, things that we are not to argue about. That brings us to our second point. He says, let each one be fully convinced. Look at verses 2 through 6 tonight. It says, one person believes that he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not judge one who does. Because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another household servant? Because his own Lord, he stands and falls. Or before his own Lord, he stands and falls. And he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. And whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. Whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. So, what's Paul dealing with here? He's dealing with, specifically, food, meat, and he's dealing with special days, Holy days. You see, some believers thought that it was a sin to eat meat, so they only ate vegetables. Other members thought that it was a sin not to observe the Jewish Jewish holy days. And really, a lot of these issues were created because of the difference in the believers' backgrounds. You see, there were Jews who were once a part of a very legalistic system and they found it extremely difficult to get out of that mindset even when they were under grace. You've got to imagine if legalism is just ground into you your entire life and you're told that this is the way you live your life for God, even when you come out of the bondage of that, it's going to be difficult to break that, that mindset. The others, the other group, they were... Gentiles who had no concern for religious diets, holy days, because they had never been a part of them in the first place before they came to Christ. You know, I find it, I find it funny, and I promise I'm not, I'm not slamming anybody, but I read this as I was doing some research on the matter, and I, I didn't, I'd never heard this. But apparently when Christian radio was first coming about, there were some believers who were totally against it. They were, they were citing Ephesians chapter 2 and saying that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. So we can't allow any Christian stuff on the airwaves. Wow. 
Okay. But you see, there are things that people feel strongly about that are matters of opinion. They're disputable things. There are things that should not cause division, things that we should not be arguing over. You see, a key verse in, in the midst of this passage is verse 4 when he says, Who are you to judge another household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls. Church, listen. And he is able to stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. You see, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that matters that are a matter of preference or opinion, things that are, that are disputable, things that are up for debate, if you will, are a matter of the heart between the believer and the Lord. Okay? Paul addresses a similar issue to the Galatians when he says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. What's he saying to the Galatians? He's saying don't let anybody judge you no matter how you treat this. You choose to eat the food? Then eat the food. Don't let anybody judge you. You choose not to eat the food? Don't eat the food. Don't let anybody judge you for that. You, you, you choose to observe the Sabbath? Observe the Sabbath all you want. You choose not to? Don't let them judge you for that either. Right? By the way, Sabbath day, that's been a hot-button issue before, not so much now, but, but in the past. Why? Well, because it was it's a part of the Ten Commandments, right? Well, how can we cast that out? And some argue and say, well, that's part of the Old Covenant. It's a New Covenant. We just dismiss all the Old Covenant. No, no, no. It's the wrong approach. But how do we know? How do we know what part of the Old Covenant is a part of the new when it's repeated in the new. When God shows that it's a part of the new system. And you know, there's only one of the Ten Commandments that aren't mentioned in the New Testament, and it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. Why? Because Jesus is our rest. He's provided our rest. So should we set apart a day to worship God and rest? Yeah, that's, that's a good thing. It's a great thing. But it's no longer a command. And Paul says right here to the Galatians, don't let anybody tell you how you treat the Sabbath. You do what you, through the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about this in a minute because this is, this is key when we look at any issues like this. How we handle it. How do we come to the right approach? How do we come to the conclusion that we ought to about these things? But he says, don't let anybody tell you what to do with the Sabbath. You see, Christian liberty, personal conviction, whatever you want to call it, they are not something that we ought to shout on the roof, rooftops about, right? The biblical remedy that, that Paul shares for how we deal with matters like this is for each believer to be fully convinced in his own mind. So how do we do that? How, does the, how is the believer to be fully convinced in his own mind? Well, the model to follow is to make your decision on what would honor and glorify the Lord Jesus. See, Paul's going to get into this a little deeper in just a moment, but it is not making the decision based on what you want to do and attempting to justify your actions by chalking it up to Christian liberty. Okay, that's not what we're saying here. That's what a lot of believers will attempt to do, right? They'll say, oh, well, it's a matter of opinion. The Bible doesn't really speak much on the matter, so it's, it's just Christian liberty. I'll just do whatever I want. It's the wrong approach. 
See, it is, it is making a prayerful, godly decision, attempting to live out 1 Corinthians 10.31 that says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So when the believer approaches this issue that we're unsure about, it's something that, that God has not spoken or spoken clearly on, then, then how do we come to the conclusion that we ought to? Well, we make it a matter of prayer. We first make sure God has not been clear on it, right? And if He has been clear, we submit to the Holy Word of God, period. No question, no debate. Not disputed. But we really beg the question of how can I best serve the Lord? It's not, hey, what do I want to do, right? How how do I want to handle this? No, it's how can I best honor God through this? And and the point that Paul is making is that there were some believers that really thought that by not eating the meat, they were best glorifying God with their life and they were best honoring God with their life. And Paul says, kudos to them. Right? Because they're trying to honor the Lord. Who are you to tell them not to do that? When really, the meat doesn't matter in the first place. And at the same time, there were people that said, you know what, we can eat the meat. And we can glorify God through it, right? Let no man call unclean what God has called clean. And they can honor the Lord through it as well. You see, if the basis of our decision is to do the will of God and to live our lives for His honor and His glory instead of our own selfish pleasures and satisfaction, then how can one believer attempt to lord over another believer? Church, lording is the Lord's job. See, both sides of the divided groups in this matter believe that they were doing the right thing and the other was doing the wrong thing. But what if, what if both groups were simply trying to live their life for Jesus and the sin came into the picture when they tried to push their opinion onto others? What if that was the matter of pride in their life? Because to be sure, as they're arguing about this, they're, they're, trying, to, they're trying to make it a matter of pride. Well, you're just too prideful to put this thing down. Or you're too prideful to, to not do this or, or whatever, right? Certainly. But what if the pride was coming in with their hearts being so full of themselves, they thought they had it all figured out? See, Scripture is teaching us that we can disagree on non-essentials and things that are not spelled out in Scripture, and we can have unity among our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, Paul's admonition in verse 1 was to welcome anyone who is weak in faith. Now, is Paul Paul alluding to some of these individuals that, that that are saying these things are weak in the faith? Yes, but he's not saying that as a slight to them, right? He's not saying, well, they're just weak. They don't know what they're talking about. Just disregard what they're doing, what they're saying. No, he's not, he's not saying that. He's saying that we ought to welcome them, right? That we, that we ought to rejoice that they are trying to do the right thing to honor and glorify the Lord so we help them, right? The, the, the ones that are strong in the faith should be encouraging a life that is Christ-centered. 
not discouraging somebody by your own personal preference. The strong in faith are to welcome, help the weak in faith. We're not to look down on those who may still be trying to work through things in their mind. We're not to condemn those who may feel differently than we do about these topics. We should instead pray for them, encourage them, and even advise them when the time is appropriate. But we cannot, church, we cannot attempt to be someone's Holy Spirit. You're not someone's Holy Spirit. It's not your job to convict, and it's certainly not your job to condemn. The principle here for each believer is to make up their minds on matters like this. With that decision, the decision that they make being made in a Christ-centered reasoning, right? Really, really focused on the life that's dedicated to Christ Jesus. How can I live for the Lord best in this? And then, after they come to their conclusion, they then come to the reality that some believers might not see it the same way. And then, and then we see this in more than one portion of Paul's writing, then, after you've done that, right? You've come to an issue, you work through it biblically, you work through it through the Holy Spirit, you do what's best to honor and glorify the Lord, you come to terms that everybody might not see it your way, and then... You leave each other alone about it. Why? Because it doesn't matter. It's not a dividing issue. It's not something that should be causing division. It's not something that should be causing disunity inside of the body of Christ. And why? Why is it essential? Why is it important that the, that the, believer, that the believer approach it this way? That brings me to my next point. Number three, because we belong to the Lord. Look at verses 7 through 9. He says this. He says, For no one of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, then we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to this life that He might be Lord over both the dead and the living church. Is Christ Lord in your life? Does He have Lordship? Now, now, before you really answer that in your mind, of course He does. He's Lord, right? We've heard that a multiplicity of times. We've sung the song, He is Lord, right? He is Lord. But before you answer that question, really think about what that means. Does Christ have Lordship in your life? Do you have the submission, and and this is going to be hard for us to to bite down on, especially in the social context that this word means, do we have the submission of a slave to the Lord? Do we have the obedience to be what Paul says is a slave to Christ? To be one that, that follows the Lord and His leadership even when we really don't want to. And are we honest enough to say that, yes, sometimes that's true. Sometimes we get full of ourselves and sometimes the flesh rears its ugly head and sometimes we don't want to be obedient. But it's the willing servant, it's the one that's, that's living on the, 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 the sacrificial altar, being the living sacrifice that says, yep, I'm going to do what the Lord would have me to do even when it doesn't feel good. Because your Christian life is not about your emotions. 
about what Christ has done for you. It's about walking in obedience and love for the Lord. And really, I want us, just for a second, I'm going to divert just, just for a moment. Because in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when Paul tells us to, to be the living sacrifice, he, he says he urges us. He pleads with us. He's, he's begging us to do this. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Paul's writings enough to know, Paul did not have a problem commanding anything. He didn't have a problem commanding anything in, in the name of the Lord Jesus. So why not in Romans 12.1? Well, because Paul knew that if it was forced, then it's not going to be done with the right attitude. If God has to force you out of fear or obligation or, or, or being shackled by the law like the Jews were, if He has to force you to be the living sacrifice, it's really not the living sacrifice at all because you're supposed to be willing to do it. Believers are supposed to jump on the altar of sacrifice and say, all right, God, I'm yours. Do with me what you will. So he says, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you, I beseech you. Why? Because it shouldn't be forced. It should be something that we do willingly, right? Why? Not out of obligation. We don't, we don't live for Christ out of obligation. We definitely don't do it out of fear because we think God's going to do something to us if we don't. Why do we obey Christ? Well, we ought to obey Christ because we love Him. Because He gave His very life for us. He died in our stead. He took the death that we deserve. So out of loving obedience for, for who Jesus is, we, we do what He desires for our life because we understand that that's the best way. I digress. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, The church is divided and weakened because Christians will not allow Jesus Christ to be Lord. The church is divided and weakened because Christians will not allow Christ to be Lord. You see, when we approach any matter, we must acknowledge that we belong to the Lord, as He said. For one of us, Lives, or for none of us lives for himself. No one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. We belong to the Lord. We don't live for ourselves any longer. The Bible says we're, we're a new creation in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we are His workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared ahead of time for us. Philippians chapter 1, 21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Church, grip this. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. Church, if we believe our Bibles, then the person that we once were before we came to Christ is dead. And it was dead before. Right? Dead in my trespasses and sins. We, we, were, we were bones before. It was Christ who made us alive. We're alive in Christ Jesus. And now that we're a new creation, we, it's, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
You see, the Christian must have the mindset that we now live our lives for the honor and the glory of our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords, Christ Jesus, who loved us and gave Himself for us. And again, this all, we can bring all this back to Paul's first statement when he makes this shift of, of being that living sacrifice. Of saying, God, I want your way, not my way. And if, if we're honest, that's a hard thing to do sometimes because we like our way. We like our opinions. We like our preferences. And again, if we're really honest, sometimes we wish everybody was just like us. Right? We do. It'd be easy. We wouldn't disagree about nothing. It'd be some pretty boring folks. Everybody was just like everybody else. But man, we've got to come to the grip and the reality that we can't let issues that aren't going to matter in eternity, issues that aren't really a divisive issue, we can't let them come between us. We can't let them break fellowship and break unity. We, we ought to be of one accord, loving one another in Christ Jesus, and when we don't see the eye to eye on things, now, now please, in closing, I, I, I don't want you to think that I'm saying something to the contrary of this, so I'm going to make sure I, I clarify. I'm not saying that when there's blatant sin in the life of a believer, that we just let it go and we say, well, it's their preference, they're just doing whatever. That's not what I'm saying. We've got to stand for truth, we've got to stand for sin, and we've got to call our brothers out, our brothers and sisters, out lovingly, kindly, compassionately, not trying to, again, not trying to lord over them and tell them we're right and you're wrong, but because we, we desire to see them living in, in, in the light of the gospel, in the light of the truth of God's word and obedience to the Lord, right? And of course, before we do that, we better make sure we're taking the words of Jesus to heart, that we're looking and taking the plank out of our own eye before we take the speck out of our brother's, right? So we don't... We've got to address sin. But when there's things that aren't sinful, when there's things that are just a matter of preference, when there's things that God has not spoken on, when there's things that... We can clearly, if, if we'll take just a, a real good look at them, we know, okay, this is a matter of preference. This is, this is a, a disputed matter. This is something that's, that's just a matter of my own opinion, no matter how strong you may feel on it. I'm not saying you can't share your opinion. It's okay. But you can't push your opinion onto others, right? Your preference. We're to be of one accord. We're to be of one body of Christ in unity. I can guarantee you, if we went around the room and we started talking about all of those topics that I mentioned before, like music, cars, art, all of this, first you'd figure out real quick, I know very little about cars. We already figured that out. But we'd figure out real quick that we all have different opinions on things. And we'd start to talk about all these, all these opinionated matters and you know what? We'd all be fine with it because we understand that. We understand that everybody feels differently about all these things, right? 
And if one person got bent out of shape about any of that stuff, sports or, or music, as far as like, like you, you, your different style and stuff, we'll be like, oh, hold on, brother. Like, not that big a deal, right? But why is it sometimes when it comes to church matters that are really in the same vein that we treat them as if we've got it all figured out and everybody else has got it wrong? got to be in unity, church. We've got to love each other well and know that we can have complete harmony even when there's things we don't see eye to eye on. So let's love one another well. Can we do that, church? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're thankful for you. God, we're thankful for the many blessings that you give us each day. God, we are thankful as we reflect on our differences. God, whether they be the differences in the way that we were, were raised, and the, the places that we grew up, God, our, our, our differences all around, God, we're thankful for those differences because we understand that you have made us unique. God, we understand that you have, have made us that way so that we can, can be vibrant and, and we can, God, have, have artistic differences and, and we can, God, just, just flourish through that. Father, we also pray that you would help us as a body of Christ to be in unity. God, that you would help us even when we don't see eye to eye on things that, that are really don't matter in the scape of, of, in view of eternity. Father, things that you have not spoken on. God, help us to treat one another with love, with kindness. God, to certainly form our stance and, and on our opinion in a way that would honor and please you. Father, not to, to push the way that we think on a certain matter onto someone else. May we stand on your truth, God, to be obedient to your truth and be vocal on the things that you have spoken clearly on. But Father, on the disputed matters, may we love one another well. And also we say and ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.